A spontaneous and unrehearsed interview. Welcome to episode 86. My voice cracked there a little bit. Did you hear that? This is Curiosityness. I am Travis DeRose. Thank you for being here. This is a show where we interview interesting people and learn about interesting stuff. And that's what we're going to do for you this time. Uh, did you know that there's still lighthouse keepers? I didn't, but there are. And I talked to one of them. His name is Spence Wilson. And we're going to learn all about what it means to be a lighthouse keeper uh, in 2020, in the modern world. We're going to learn about what the lighthouses are like, the amenities, how he gets utilities, does he have internet, what a typical day is like, his responsibilities, what he does for fun, does he get bored out there, is he alone, can he have a family... There's a lot of stuff to talk about. Food, supplies, what he has to do in regards to weather and stuff. So it's crazy. Let's get to the episode. Here is Spence Wilson. All right, Spence, we're on. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks. Thanks for being here, man. You're a a lighthouse keeper. They still exist. I... They do. Yes. Uh, Canada still has uh, 27 lighthouses in BC and 23 lighthouses on the East Coast that are still in operation with keepers. Nice. Man, yeah, it's very cool to find this stuff because, I mean, you probably get asked about it all the time, but I I recently saw the movie The Lighthouse, which came out like a year ago or so. And yes. so I was like, you know, this is, a, this is, that movie was crazy. I don't know how accurate it is, but I, you know, that's what got me searching and found your YouTube channel where, and like, <laughs> yeah, cause for anyone listening, Spence has a YouTube channel. It's, it's BC Lighthouse Keeper on YouTube. We'll have a link to it and stuff, but it's awesome, man. You're just making these videos, sharing, you know, what you do, your responsibilities, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I got to talk to this guy and learn a bit more about this. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Um, I do get asked about the Lighthouse Keeper quite a bit. Actually, uh, it's a great movie. I enjoyed it a lot. The um, I have to say, it's really accurate. Really, for a hundred years ago. Okay, not for today. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, definitely with the update of technology, and um, you know, in every regard, it, it'd be the same as saying. Like a train engineer, you don't expect him to shovel coal anymore. He right. runs, you know, a more modern diesel. Well, it's the same for us. We don't um, light the lamp anymore and stuff like that. But we do still have a lot of regular duties that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Right. No. Very cool. Well, that's cool to hear that it. You know, it's at least accurate to the time period. Because yeah, that movie's a wild ride. If and if. People should oh, see it, yeah. I think. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh kind of strange, kind of different, but it's it's a good movie, I think. Um okay, so let's dive into so you're specifically your relief lighthouse keeper, correct? I was a relief lighthouse keeper, yes. Oh, okay. So tell me about what that <laughs> was and then what you are now, I guess. Okay, so a relief lighthouse keeper is somebody who takes the place of a permanent lighthouse keeper when that permanent keeper is on holiday or has to leave the station or anything. Think of it like um, just a replacement for any full-time individual. You You still have to replace that position. So a relief lighthouse keeper is usually sent to different stations to, uh, you know, for anywhere from two weeks to two months to whatever period is needed at a station to fill in while the permanent person is not on station. Right. Okay. I see. That's pretty cool. That sounds like a, like kind of a, you get the perks of the job where you get to go to all these different lighthouses and experience it a bit, but you're not stuck in one place for a super long time. Well, you know, that was the original plan. And when I started my YouTube channel, uh, because I had communication with Lighthouse Keepers before I actually applied, so I kind of knew a little bit about what was going on and how it all worked. And so I started the channel thinking like, wow, what a great opportunity to go out and actually document all these stations. Well, I've been working now as a lighthouse keeper since October 2019, and it's now June 2020. 
and I've been to two stations. Really? So <laughs> I, I got to my first station and they said I would be there for two months. And I said, that's great. And then halfway through my two months, they called me and they said, so yeah, we're going to need you to stay an extra four months. Whoa. And I was like, okay, so six months I'll be staying here. Well, four months after I was there, they called me again and they say, okay, so we're going to have to send you somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) So um, life as a relief keeper can be a little, you know, uh, all over the place. You need to be mobile. You need to be ready to move at a moment's notice. And you have to have all your things sort of, you can't just accumulate a whole bunch of junk and then, you know, try and transport that with you every time you go somewhere. You're really only supposed to transport with about... 200 pounds worth of stuff and that includes a month's worth of food so oh shit yeah, it's wow. not that much weight <laughs> yeah man okay so then so how did you transition into what your position now as you're not a, a relief lifehouse keeper Right. Well, I was sent from Entrance Island, which was my first position, to the new station uh, called Boat Bluff. And that's where I am uh, currently. And what happened was I was um, I was sent to the position as term. They gave me a six month term and said, well, you know, we'll put you there for six months and then we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then uh, about three months, maybe four months into the term, they call me again and they say, you know what? We're just going to leave you there. You're permanent. So wow. okay. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I've seen two stations and I'm now permanent at Boat Bluff, meaning I could be here for the next 10 years. Wow. 10 years, man. Oh, man. So did you know, like, how does that work? Did you sign up for like a, t- a 10 year, you know, contract type of thing or, you know, did you know what you're getting into, well, I guess? It, it, the idea for me was... Um, sorry, that's your radio. That's your radio back there. Uh, yeah, they're looking for someone. <laughs> oh, really? Um, uh, just, it's uh, a boat thing. They follow different boats through the um, through satellite and stuff, and they take measurements they make sure that boats aren't colliding obviously because (laughs) you don't want two tugs full of barges to collide somewhere yeah that would be terrible (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah sorry where where was i what was i um what did i just ask gosh um (laughs) (laughs) well whatever we'll just move forward it was a how do we both forget this? Um, I was asking you about you, your position now. Oh, yeah, did you know? Right, did you yeah. know that you had signed up for the like for this long of a term? Right. So when I applied for um, to be a lighthouse keeper, my intention was to do this for the remainder of my working life. So essentially, I want to be able to do a lighthouse keeper until I'm 65, 70, whatever, until they tell me, my God, you're too old. Get the hell out of here. Right. (laughs) So um, there there are keepers who are in their 70s. So it is something that, you know, you can definitely do long term. And there's there are keepers who have been doing this kind of all their life, like born and raised. Really? So. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of like in the blood. So, yeah. Man, so how did, what kind of uh, drew you to it? What was the allure for you to to look into becoming a lighthouse keeper and, and get involved with all of it? Well, oddly, <laughs> funny enough, my dad is a lighthouse keeper. He's a oh. relief keeper. And he's been doing it off and on for 10 to 12 years. And so it was actually through him that I learned a little bit more about it and decided like, hey, maybe this is this is something I would like to do myself. So, yeah, cool. (laughs) because of him. Nice. Makes sense. Okay, so, yeah, let's dive into this a bit. You talked about, you know, you mentioned kind of your supplies that you can bring. Um, Can you just kind of elaborate on that and like what kind of. You have to bring a month worth of supply of food. Like, how do you get to where you're at with a 200 pound limit and all this kind of stuff? 
So when you're um, when you're set up as a relief keeper, there are three in on the West Coast. Each coast is obviously fairly different, but on the uh-huh. West Coast, there's three points uh, that you can leave. So one is Victoria, one is Port Hardy, and one is Prince Rupert. And these are all different Coast Guard bases. And so when you're assigned to a station, they tell you, yeah, you have two days to get to whatever location, whatever base that you have to go to. You get all your things, go to the base, and then the next day you catch a helicopter and you put all your things on the helicopter and then they helicopter you out to your station. Oh, okay. I see. So you get all of your supplies. You drive to the to um, the Coast Guard station where, where they tell you to be, and then you're literally in a helicopter and they're flying you to these lighthouses. Correct. Yes. Man. So now that you're more permanent, how does the food and supply situation work? So when you're on a station, you're, um, you get one day every month that they send you supplies. So they have a, for the entire year, they have the entire year mapped out as to which days that you get your supplies. So throughout the month, you do whatever shopping you have to do, whether it's like Amazon, Walmart, eBay, whatever you want to do online shopping. Mm -hmm. And then the week before you get your delivery, you do your online shopping through the uh, grocery store. So we buy, at this station, we buy our groceries from Prince Rupert, the Save-On Foods. So you just go to the Save-On Foods website, you put in your order. They know all the lighthouse keepers, and so they wait until the day before your helicopter. They pull all the food and then send it to the Coast Guard base. Wow, that's cool. It's definitely interesting. I mean, if you, you, you need to be able to plan your months. So if you're somebody who does a lot of baking, like I like to bake bread. So if you have a little bit of yeast left, you need to know, oh my, I have to buy another jar of yeast before I run out because right. otherwise I got to wait a month until I get another jar of yeast. Right. So you really need to know what your, you, you kind of have to know what your quantities are or you just run out. Yeah. And if you run out, then that's unfortunate. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to wait again. They're not going to give a special delivery for you, huh? No, no. And I've heard from most of the lighthouse keepers that I've spoken to, almost all of them in their first month of doing the job, they ran out of food. Yeah. So it's um, they end up having to you know, try and get some from the other lighthouse keeper or just, you know, live on really bare scraps, whatever. And then after that month, you never run out again because you always made sure. (laughs) You learn your lesson after that. You learn your lesson. Yeah. And then, so even you mentioned even things like Amazon, so you can order things on Amazon and ship it to, to wherever the helicopter is coming from and then they'll deliver it when they come. We have a an address. Each of the lighthouse stations has an address depending on which Coast Guard base is their base of operations. So because my base of operations is in um, in Prince Rupert, I have an address. This is Spencer Wilson, care of Bull Bluff Lighthouse, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then so I can order anything like anybody, and I send it to that address. They accept it at the Coast Guard base, and they have a huge warehouse there that they hold on to everything until my day that that I get my deliveries. So, um, for example, when I had heard that I was going to be permanent, I bought myself uh, a desk, a work desk, something to, uh, you know, for my computer and, and everything, and they sent the desk to the Coast Guard base, and then the desk gets put on the helicopter and then brought out to me. So, yeah, it, it's that's how it goes. You need a washer dryer, you send it to the Coast Guard base, and they'll helicopter wow. it out to you. Wow. Okay. No, I mean that yeah. that, that makes sense that that's what the system would be, but that's uh, uh, that's pretty cool. It's interesting to hear. Well, it's a lot better now than it used to be because it used to be that everything was done by ship. And it was way more difficult because 
you, the ships are harder to um, to coordinate, and of course are even way more weather dependent than the helicopters because the ships can't always unload in really really rough weather. Now where we're at at Boat Bluff, we see very little rough weather, but Triple Island, which is out in the middle of nowhere on rocks, uh-huh. is not nearly as accessible and very difficult to get to. So right. Yeah, it can make it can make it really, the helicopters are a godsend. Let me tell you, they yeah. make a really big difference. <laughs> Good, and I imagine having you know having the internet to order things online and see what you're actually getting makes it a lot easier than pre-internet days when you just had to you know relay something over the phone, maybe. Well, how it used to work is you would have to create a list. You would create a list. And when you received your monthly order, you would give that list to the helicopter pilot. That helicopter pilot would take that and hold on to it for a month. Wow. The shop. Some, they would send someone to go and do the shopping and then the next month bring it over. So you would need to know what you needed two months in advance, yeah. not one month. Damn. Yeah. You really had a plan back then. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You really had to know what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so and then so what are the what are the lighthouses like? Because what I can see from you here, it just looks like a normal house. You know, what's kind of what are the amenities they have? And you know, talked about internet. What kind of utilities do you have? That kind of stuff. Well, um, as a lighthouse keeper in Canada, um, you are provided a dwelling. So I live in a three bedroom house by myself, mm-hmm. and it's the same idea as a house. In town, it has all the same things, all the same features that you would find anywhere else. I have hot water. I have fully running water. I have, um, I have a different toilet. My toilet is like a compost toilet. Mm-hmm. So they, um, uh, they have a big system set in place that, is, so that you can recycle all your waste and, and whatnot. It's kind of an interesting setup. But yeah, essentially, I live just like anybody else uh just i have no neighbors right well i have one neighbor i have my my uh the person i work with so i have one neighbor but right. that's it yeah yeah so how does that work you're not who is the person you work with uh the principal of boat bluff is currently a gentleman named howard um you can find him his name and everything on the Bluff Wikipedia page. He's been here for quite a long time. I think over 10 years. So yeah, he's, he's been the principal here for quite some time. And, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know. He's well, I mean, so, I work with. <laughs> so just to, so every, every lighthouse has two people working there because it's isolated. They call it like an isolated location. And of course, um, it's still, it's a federal government, uh, job. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to work on your own for emergency purposes. If something were to happen, if I roll down the hundred and some stairs that, uh, you know, are both bluff stairs right. and lay down on the bottom, you kind of need somebody to, you know, call the helicopter to get you out of there or whatever, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's for safety purposes. So all stations that are isolated have a minimum of two keepers. And there are two stations in BC that have road access. They're actually pretty close to a town and you, they have a driveway and you can get to and from the place. No problem. They only have one keeper. Okay. That makes sense. So it's like yeah. the movie, the, the lighthouse, where they, you got two of them there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have two of them. Okay. It and used then, to be three. It used to be three oh, people, it? and then they they cut it down to two. So okay. And so, do you guys do you guys share live in the same house, or are there two separate residences? There's only one station in BC that people share, and that's because it's like a typical lighthouse. It's a tower out on the rocks, and you have two people living in the tower. But every other station is actually built on a fairly nice piece of land, and so all the keepers have their own house. Wow. So I have a three-bedroom house, and the, uh, the, the other house, the principal keeper, he's got a four-bedroom house that he lives in by himself. So, Man. Yeah. yeah. So, it's kind of a nice setup. 
Yeah, that's not bad. I can't complain with that, especially with the, the coronavirus going around. You guys are, you know, everyone's having to do what we're, you're doing anyway. <laughs> we're very, very isolated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, we can't accept visitors or we stopped accepting visitors once the whole, you know, Corona thing went down. So right. Makes sense. So do are there lighthouse keepers that have like their family there? Because why are these houses so why do they have three and four bedrooms? Why are they so big? Right. Well, traditionally, because most of the houses were built, you know, wow, like 50, 60 years ago. Like this house was built in 1963, 1968, something like in the 60s. And at that time, it was a very different setup. When you had a lighthouse keeper, they would have their whole family. So in a lot of instances, you would have a husband and wife and then two, three, four kids as an assistant and then you would have the principal in the same scenario where he would have a husband and wife and several kids so mm-hmm. yeah in in before you could have as many as like 10 people living on a station wow but so th- yeah. that doesn't happen though anymore uh not very often as a matter of fact um i'm planning on bringing my wife here now that I'm permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to go through all the paperwork and everything to have my wife here. And I'll bring my daughter here as well. Who's uh, 13. And I think we would be the only station on the West coast that has a full family. Like <laughs> there are stations that are husband and wife teams, but no kids. Right. Okay. There might be, there might be one, there might be one, but that's a drive in station like one of the stations with the road is kind of a different situation yeah man well that'd be kind of cool that'd be an interesting experience for your for your daughter to grow up you know a bit living on a as a lighthouse keeper and and doing this stuff and a bit (laughs) a bit of isolation you know yeah yeah well we do have a town that's um about five kilometers away from us so it's um if you have a boat you can you know put the boat in the water and you can oh. take the boat into town if you so desire. I, I don't have a boat, so right. <laughs> I don't go into town. But as a keeper, you're really not supposed to leave the station anyways. Like you shouldn't get far from from where you're at. There's a lot of keepers who fish. They like to go oh. into the channel and fish and do that kind of thing. Right. But you're 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 not really supposed to leave and go like so far away that you can't get back to the station in case there's an emergency. Right. No, that makes sense. I could totally see that. Um, wow. Well, this is cool. And then how do you, do you get mail delivered once a month too, or does that come in more often? Well, the mail all comes at the same time that your food does. So it all comes on, on one, on one helicopter and you get, uh, your mail bag with all your mail and your packages and your food and everything all kind of at once. It's all at once. Okay. And then, so, yeah, I mean, you talked about how you're not supposed to really leave and stuff. What are your kind of, what's your typical day, your responsibilities that you're, you're having to upkeep there? Well, I'm on a morning shift. So there's sort of, there's two shifts between the two keepers, a morning and an afternoon. So uh, I wake up at, uh, right now we're on daylight savings time. So I wake up at four. When it's not daylight savings time, I, woke, I wake up at three. But um, yeah, so I wake up at 4, I have to do a weather at 4.30, and then I do another weather at 7.30, and then a third weather at 10.30. And then usually at 1.30, I will meet up with the uh, principal, and we'll discuss what we need to do for the day, whether it's uh, landscaping or building something or painting or wh- whatever chores or tasks that need to be done for the day. There's lots of different things that go on that sort of need daily maintenance and whatnot so right yeah because i mean not there's not only the maintenance of the lighthouse but also you got all the grounds and your houses and everything you're the the, you have to maintain it yourself right right well each of the sites are actually designated heritage sites so every all the lighthouses in bc are heritage locations which mean you can't just let them fall apart you can't just let everything grow over they need to be um kept in the same condition as when they were designated uh heritage sites so it means there's actually quite a bit of maintenance that needs to be done regularly the houses always need to have the same look 
They need to have the, you know, the paint needs to look good. The grass needs to be cut, needs to be cut and all that kind of thing. So, right. yeah, it's a pretty big job, actually. Yeah, man, that's cool. So you probably also aren't allowed to paint it, you know, bright orange or, or do some major renovations either, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, essentially it's 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 the same idea as a rental. So if you imagine that you're renting a house, you don't go into a house and you say, well, I don't like this wall. I think I'm just going to knock it down because the landlord's going to be like, what the F, right? (laughs) Like you can't, you can't just do that. And it's the same here because the house is actually owned by the government. It's owned by the crown. Mm -hmm. So you can't just go and renovate like willy nilly and do whatever you want. But that being said, once you're in a permanent spot, you can discuss what you would like to do with the house, with the um, the property management system of the government. Mm-hmm. And um, they always make sure that the house is kept in fairly good standing and that everything is working well. And if you want to do anything interior wise, then you can discuss things with them and they'll allow for work to be done or they'll come in and do it themselves. Oh, okay, cool. Well, that's good to hear. They're a little flexible, willing to talk about it at least. Um, yeah. And they're very good at keeping the places in good order. So if there is anything that ever gets damaged or uh, worn out or whatever, they usually send somebody in pretty quick to make sure that, especially if it's a safety concern, if it's anywhere like that may be dangerous or something, then they'll get to it right away. Right. Cool. No, that's good. Um, You mentioned uh, that you have to do a weather. What does that mean? So one of our primary duties as a lighthouse keeper is we need to report our weather to Environment Canada. And we have to do that every three hours throughout the day from 4.30 in the morning to 10.30 at night. And so with the two keepers, they separated uh, three weathers in the morning and then four weathers in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And um, so what happens is you have to go out, you check the weather, you see how far you can look, you see what the clouds are like, you um, whether it's raining or snowing or just uh, dew out or anything like that. And what the water is like, whether it's uh, there's a lot of wind, whether there's a lot of waves. And then you report that to we report everything to um, our uh, base of operations, which for us is in um, Prince Rupert. They take all the information down and they upload it to Environment Canada. And there are websites that you can go to that you can actually see what our updated weather is. So if you ever want to know what my weather is like at Bull Bluff, you go to this one station and it lists all the weathers for all the lighthouses up to date for every three hours of those reports. Oh, I see. Cool. And then is that information also used, you know, in, in, I don't know, like weather predictions and, you know, monitoring boats and that kind of stuff? It's used in a lot of different areas. So obviously mariners want to know. They want to know what the um, what the waters are like, what the winds are like and whatnot, because on the water it can be pretty scary. It's used by aviation for, especially in situations like where we're at, we have a town that's five miles away. Well, their primary access is by float plane. And so the float planes want to know up-to-date weather so that when they fly in, because they have to fly between peaks, they have to come in and try and land in a strait of water that, you know, can be really dangerous. And so mm-hmm. they want to know what the weather is like. And then um, our weather does go to Environment Canada, where they do use all of our updated weather for weather predictions and whatnot as well. So um, our reports help Vancouver to predict what the weather is going to be like there. Right. Okay. I see. Makes sense. Um, and then something, what are your kind of, uh, I guess, responsibilities in regard to like the actual light and lighthouse? Is there, is that, is there a lot of, you know, maintenance that has to be done on that? Well, it's, um, <laughs> I, I haven't had an opportunity to really go into our light here at Boat Bluff. Boat Bluff is very different from other lighthouses. We, uh, we don't actually have a tower like you would expect as a lighthouse. We just have a big 
steel skeletal construction with a light on top of it. So it's not, there's not even a cupola and our light doesn't turn. So it doesn't, it doesn't flash like typical lighthouses. So um, when it comes to the maintenance of a lighthouse, there, there is a lot of automation involved. And so the way it works now with lights is there's a bulb and it's uh, all set up electrical. And um, a lot of stations are set up using solar. So oh. the solar power does powers the batteries. There's a big bank of batteries. The batteries power the bulb. The bulbs are small and low wattage using the Fresnel lens to, you know, make lights go pretty far. Right. Um, and inside the light, there's a bulb. But there's also four more bulbs. So when the one bulb burns out, it automatically will change to another bulb. Right. So we have very little that we have to do. You go into the lamp once a year and check to make sure, you know, what bulbs have gone out, replace them, and then reset the thing back to the beginning. And um, and there you go. So the likelihood of a light ever going out is really slim. Okay. Man, interesting. Yeah, so let's dive into that a bit. Like what, just as a base, I guess, what is the purpose of a lighthouse? Why do they exist? So there are different, there are different types of lighthouses. As I say, Boat Bluff is very different from other lighthouses. We have what's called a sector light, and a sector light works really differently. So a standard lighthouse is... Uh, you have your large tower, usually fairly tall, so that you can see over a great distance. Uh, lighthouses usually are rated for about 15 miles, like 15 to 20 miles. Oh. So it needs to be fairly tall so they can be seen pretty far. And then the light inside uh, rotates, but the lenses of the light send out like a beam of light, like a like a um, it focuses the light and then sends out a, a rather narrow beam and so a ship will see the light as a flash and when a ship sees the flash they know by the uh, frequency of the flash the color of the flash and the duration of the flash whereabouts they are in relation to the land and so they will follow the lighthouse to wherever they happen to need to go. So my last station was Entrance Island, and Entrance Island is right in front of the port of Nanaimo, which back 100 years ago was a really busy coal port, and boats needed to go into port, but there's a lot of smaller islands and whatnot in the way. It's not just a super easy drive in and you're good to go. Mm -hmm. So the boats would use the lighthouse to. Um, as they were going past the lighthouse, they would be able to know sort of where in relation they were to the port and when they needed to turn to go into port to miss all the islands. Whoa, interesting. Okay. So then how does yours, where you're at now, if it doesn't rotate, how does that work? You have to be directly in line with the light to see it with the beam? So... <laughs> so sector light is a totally different animal. It's it's okay. a very different um it's a very different thing. So where Bobluff is situated, we're part of the inside passage, which is a uh, a route through islands uh all up the BC coast that boats use instead of going out into open waters. And so when you have a tugboat pulling a large barge, you don't want to send them out into open water because the waves will tip over your barge, right? Whoa. So they wind their way through these islands that are the coastal islands in nice, calm waters. Now, where Boat Bluff is situated, we're on the end of an island, and we have, um, we have a narrow passage. There's, there's two ways that you can go. You can go... Uh, left and then up this channel, which looks narrow and dangerous, or take the really wide section and go straight. But if you take the really wide section and go straight, it ends in rocks. So you actually can't go that way. So we have a lighthouse here that tells people, hey, you need to turn. So our light is, um, is three 
sections. That's what they call it a sector light. So there's three sectors. And we have a white sector, a red sector, and a white sector. When you see the white sector, it tells you, you have to go this way, go towards the light. Mm-hmm. You need to go into the channel. Once you get through the white light and hit the red light, it tells you you're in a narrow channel. You need to be careful because there's, there's islands on both sides of you and you need to you know, be careful about where you're going. Right. Then you hit the white light again. And then that white light tells you you're through the narrow channel and now headed in the right direction again. Whoa, that is very cool. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit different than um, than as I say than a standard a standard lighthouse. Our light does flash like the bulb actually physically flashes, but it flashes different than a lighthouse. Normally, a lighthouse is set up where you have a, a, a flash, like a one-second flash, and then four seconds of darkness. Mm-hmm. So you would get a flash, and then nothing, then a flash, and then nothing. Ours is opposite. Our light goes on for four seconds, and it goes off for one second. Oh, okay. So it's actually on for most of the time so that boats can use it to navigate through the channel. Right, that makes sense. And then, so how would a how would a boat operator? How do they know what all these different things mean? Is there like a you know the lighthouse signal bible that everybody has, or like you know <laughs> how does that work? There, there is, there is. Um, there's a there's a, a book that the government puts out that lists all the lighthouses, all the boys, all the markers, everything that they call aid to navigations, and it lists everything from what the boy is, what the marker is, what their light do and how you need to navigate around them and then on top of that navigators buy giant maps charts Mm -hmm. and on each of these charts it will show you all the different lights and what their properties are and what it means for each of the lights and how you would use them to navigate okay Man, very cool. So, I mean, I can't help but think, is there, because, the, you know, lighthouses have been around for a while. Is there, you know, a better technology than a lighthouse that could be used, like, you know, <laughs> GPS or something? I, I wouldn't know, but, it, you know, what, what do you know about that? Well, definitely ships and uh, a lot of the, the bigger boats and everything, they all use GPS. Of course, it's it's definitely the technology of today. Whether if our light went out, it doesn't necessarily mean that boats wouldn't be able to navigate because they do have the GPS and whatnot. But there is something to be said for that physical light. As somebody who works on the water, somebody who's actually piloting a ship, those lights are way more important than GPS. Really? Because they're, they can look at lights, and through experience, you are able to judge distances. You can sort of know which ways you're supposed to go and whatnot. And while GPS is really handy, GPS isn't always exactly accurate because right. you need to have data, you need to have make sure the satellite's in the right place, you need to, you know, all of these kind of things. And even if you're, say, a runner, and you use GPS on your cell phone to track where you're doing your run. Sometimes you go back and you'll look at your cell phone and you go, well, I didn't take some weird skew like right. whatever, because the GPS did something weird, right? Yeah. So, yeah, lights are, lights don't fail you. They're there and they like, they tell you where you're at. Yeah. No, that makes total sense where you would you would use GPS, but use it also with, you know, with the lighthouse as they're both redundancy on itself. Yeah. So you have you have that extra safety measure. So that that really does make sense. Um, Can we dive into like the history of lighthouses a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not a historian. I've I've read a few books and I do know a little bit of history and and whatnot. But um yeah, there are some amazing books that I can recommend for BC lighthouses. Okay, but, uh, I'll I'll do what I can. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I mean, so do you know, like when when was the first house lighthouse made? Do you know, or when was it first kind of coming into fashion? 
Um, I believe the entrance lighthouse was 1869, maybe 1870, okay. somewhere, somewhere in there. So over 150 years yeah, that, wow. that it's been there. And um, entrance isn't the first one in BC, but there's, um, there's a couple of others. I, I believe there's one or two others that were first, maybe Victoria. Like like Trial Island or something, something something out in Victoria. I'm not too sure, but lighthouses in general have been around. Like I mean, if you're talking like just general lighthouses, have been around since man has been on the water. Because every time a boat goes out, they want to know where do we go back. So they'll set a bonfire on the beach so that they know whereabouts on the beach that they need to go back, and that's your traditional lighthouse. And even in ancient Egypt, the lighthouse of Alexandria, which is like 300 BC, um, used a fire at the top of a 100-meter structure that told people where the port of Alexandria was. So, wow, yeah, that's cool. They, they've been around for a while. Right, okay. No, that, that makes sense that they would be around, but they've just been, the technology has improved. Um, so what were kind of they the... They definitely fir- evolved, yeah. Yeah. So what were, yeah, what were kind of the, you know, the one, maybe the ones in like the 1870s and stuff when they were first kind of being built in BC, what was kind of the, the look and the construction and materials of these things? Well, uh, in the mid 1800s, lighthouses took a really big leap in, in, um, technology. Uh, Fresnel was a French physicist who created the Fresnel lens and the Fresnel lens is way more common than than people realize. Fresnel lenses are used in cameras, they're used in um, like big screen TVs like the projection TVs and all kinds of stuff. So the Fresnel lens is a really common thing. They're used in taillights in cars. Really? So yeah they're they're very 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 common but really effective. So that was that was in the mid 1800s that this was um that this was created and so what happened was lighthouses were able to go from big fires to candles and Mm. those candles would have been amplified by the lenses and could then be seen for many many miles (coughs) i see through the 1800s and early 1900s they sort of evolved from candles to oil flame to um, like argon gas, uh, anything that sort of kind of changed the evolution of a flame because a candle flickers, but a lamp will give you a steady flame, right. give you a steady, a steady light. But of course, as you progress with everything that we're talking about here is fire. And most lighthouses of the time were made of wood. And so fire. <laughs> And wood, they don't work so well together. <laughs> right. A lot of times you would get lighthouses that would burn because the keeper was not watching the flame or the flame got out of control. Maybe a candle fell over, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, whatever. Like there's a lot of times that lighthouses would end up uh, burning because of, you know, because of this open flame. And then as the um, light bulb was invented, And it was realized, like, hey, we can use a solid light that is now not an open flame. It was sort of quickly realized we need to uh, jump on this technology. But the Fresnel lens is something that even though the, the concept of the Fresnel lens has evolved, there are still lighthouses. We have one lighthouse here in BC that uses an original first order Fresnel lens. And a first-order Fresnel lens is a giant monstrosity, like two meters high, made of glass that is uh, can be seen for like thirty miles away. Wow! So yeah, it's it's quite an impressive sight. Uh, definitely something to see. But Fresnel lenses of this type are still used in some lighthouses today. Man, very very cool. Yeah, because it's an interesting history, and Fresnel lenses are beautiful. Like they are absolutely stunning to see in person. Really? Yeah. Are they? Um, are they, like how? Do you know how they're constructed? Are they 
always glass? Are they hand like I don't even know. <laughs> Original ones were made of uh, brass and glass. Uh-huh. And of course, when you have something of, of that magnitude, so they would have the upper structure was the glass section and we have rings and lenses and all kinds of stuff in it. And then the lower structure housed all the apparatus to turn the lens. And so there's usually some form of a clockwork mechanism that would uh, rotate the lens. And even though these like lenses are so huge and they were like several tons, um, the lenses would turn really easily because they would take this giant lens and they would rest it in mercury. Yes. And mercury being a liquid means that it's like you can turn like a four ton Fresnel lens with a single finger like like this. Just wow. And it moves. Man. So yeah, it's quite the quite the setup. But of course, when uh, mercury was first used in lighthouses in the 1890s, I think it was. No, nobody knew how bad mercury was for you, right? right like, yeah, yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. No, I mean that must have been so like beautiful and elegant to see that thing turning on mercury like that, and you could just barely push and move it. But yeah, because can you talk about some of the uh, you know potential uh, <laughs> stories or you know what could have what the mercury could have done to some of these lighthouse keepers? Well, it's not. Um, uh, well, first of all, the mercury did have to be cleaned regularly. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that the mercury is always free of impurities because you have these giant mechanisms turning. And if there's impurities in there, then it will, you know, it'll ruin the structure. Right. So you have to make sure that your mercury is cleaned regularly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how old you are, but for me, when I was in high school, we would play with mercury in our hands really? because that's what they taught you in science class. This is, this is science. This is mercury. This is what mercury is like. And you play with it and split it and do it all this because it wasn't nearly documented how dangerous mercury was for you. Wow. So a lot of keepers would now of course you're always provided with safety equipment this is a government job you have all your ppe and you always make sure that you have safety equipment but we all know that when nobody's looking at you nobody's looking over your shoulder you go ha <laughs> i don't need that right i'm i'm above that sure. so um there it, it's very very well documented that many 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 light keeper light keepers would go crazy yeah. And the um whether light keepers went crazy due to isolation, which was the assumption, or if they went crazy because they handled mercury for most of their lives. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> like man, that is, that is so crazy to me. Like yeah, the isolation thing, it seems like, you know, good, a good story, but and you know, like the cause of it, but then when you throw some mercury poisoning in there, I could see how you go yeah. mad. See, I, I don't understand how anybody could go mad being in isolation. This is the absolute, like, I, I can't even, I can't even begin to tell you how amazing it is for me to be able to live here with no neighbors. With really? nobody around me. Don't have to deal with drunk people next door. I don't have to deal with loud music. I don't have to deal with cars going by all the time. It's, it's the most amazing situation that I've ever been in in my life because I am I'm I'm by myself and while not everybody can handle being by themselves like that you kind of know what you're getting into when you apply to be a lighthouse keeper like you right. kind of know it's in the middle of nowhere right yeah. so you you got to think these people who even 100 years ago would kind of know what they were getting into when they decided to go to a lighthouse. So going crazy due to isolation seems, I don't know, maybe not as viable as people may think. But anyway, there's been studies on the whole thing and nothing is obviously documented and proven because, you know, that was then and this is now. But uh, I, I think you can, you can kind of safely say that 
I think Mercury was a bit of a bit of an attribute in contributing. Right. Yeah. Oh man, I, that's just such a crazy, uh, you know, bit of history in there. I love that. I mean, unfortunate for the lighthouse keepers, but it's just yes, crazy. very unfortunate. Um, and then so what? Uh, oh, I was going to ask with these with the Fresnel lenses and everything up by the light source. Would it get really hot up there? Well, it would if it was a flame, but then uh-huh. it depends on how big the flame is because. I mean, you could say the same thing. Like, I, if you ever go camping and you have one of those little camp stove flame things, you you pump it up and you light the little burner thing, and right. it's hot. But is it like ridiculously hot that you can't get near it? Not really. You don't want to touch it. Yeah. But you put it in a room and it's not going to burn down the room or anything. So, yeah, it's it's the same idea. It doesn't need to be a giant flame with the lenses. It, it's um, it, the lights that we use now are similar to the bulb you would find in a car, like in a blinker light in the side of your car. Really? They're, they're not small. Big. Yeah, they're, they're not very big at all. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah, and it can be seen for 15 miles. Man, so that's all an attribute to the to the lenses then who are able to. To, to the project. lens. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, man. Yeah. Now, yeah, so, old, older lenses are use bigger bulbs. Like the the really old Fresnel lenses would use a bulb. Like imagine, um, imagine like a regular light bulb that you would put in your ceiling, about twice as big. So okay. it's it's still not huge. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that has a bit more flair to it. But yeah, I don't know why. Just I would imagine it's like a bulb the size of your head or something. You know. Well, I think. A lot of people think, like, because it has to create such a beam of light, they think those giant stage lights, like at premieres and whatnot, and they have those giant spotlight things with huge bulbs, like really heavy-duty, super hot bulbs and whatnot in them. Uh, it's it's a different type of light and because it's it's focused differently than those, the bulb itself doesn't need to be so huge. Right, okay. Yeah, well, do you, why the hell did they use such big bulbs for those? Do you know why they wouldn't just use kind of a similar setup with the lens? You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you, maybe, maybe um, I, I think now, of course, I'm just speculating here. I would assume that it has to do with the fact that a searchlight or the um, those sort of lights that they use at premieres need to be seen even like right coming out of the unit, where a lighthouse light needs to be seen from far away. So you don't need as much um, like focus on the light right outside of the lens. I so see. it is kind of a different a different setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're looking at the lighthouse lens, even at night, you actually can't, like if you're standing at the base of the tower and you're looking up, unless there's rain or snow or something like that, it's pretty hard to see the beam of light. I see. Okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's why those, you don't see the beam on a lighthouse. Okay. Man, I had something I wanted to ask here. Oh, the color. How is the um, the color of the light? Is that based on the uh, lens? Yes, usually, um, like on ours, as I said, we we have uh, white, red, white, and that's the lens. The lens is actually colored red. So you'll get lenses that are uh, red, white, or green, and they each mean sort of different different things. Right. Okay. Now that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. And this is, I love talking about the, yeah, the modern improvements and, and everything. Is there like, are there fully automated lighthouses that don't have lighthouse keepers? Oh, definitely. There's many, many. And even in BC, there's still quite a few other lighthouses that, um, that are unmanned. Now there's lots of difficulties that come with unmanned stations. Uh, the, one of the biggest ones is vandalism. There, oh. For some reason, people like to vandal stuff. They'll break into 
they'll break into um, fenced-off areas. They not that long ago on the east coast, somebody broke into a station and they stole all the solar panels from Jeez. the lighthouse. Which is like, dude, what? Do you, <laughs> I I don't even I like. How can anybody be so selfish that? You know, you're you're risking the lives of the people in the water yeah, because really. you're too cheap to go and buy your own solar panels. I mean, I don't know. That that's. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are there are definitely unmanned um, stations, and of course, the UK and the US and many many other countries throughout the world have uh, fully automated their lighthouses there's actually not so many places that still used that still use keepers and um there's pros and there's cons on each side of things the the one thing that i like to let people know about lighthouses in bc is they're not just a lighthouse it's not just a tower that's they're putting out light they're a full station and the station is a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like a, an emergency landing area for helicopters. It's a point of a base of operations for search and rescue. It has all kinds of different amenities that are at the ready all the time mm-hmm. for the Coast Guard to use at any time. So it's not just a light letting people know where to go. There's so much more to it than that. Right. Yeah, no, that that makes sense that that would be. So, yeah, and you mentioned that, yeah, because in the U.S., do they not, do we just not have any lighthouse keepers that you know of? A lot of, from my understanding, no, I haven't looked too much into uh, the American Coast Guard setup and whatnot, but from my understanding is the Coast Guard took so many of the lighthouses and they sold them to really? private owners. Huh. And so they would sell it to a city or they would sell to an individual or they'd sell to a business. Um, there, there is one lighthouse that I, I was just kind of browsing on, on YouTube and it's this lighthouse that's way out on this rock, super hard to get at and everything. And this company bought it to make it like um, uh, when you would die, they would they would uh, burn you and put you in ashes and then take those ashes and put them in the lighthouse. Huh. And this was their, this was their, their business. This is, this is what they did. So the company bought the lighthouse so that you could rest in the lighthouse for the rest of your life. But huh. unfortunately the company couldn't keep the lighthouse because it's a lot of money to the, the lighthouse is out on salt water and of course, subjected to a lot of winds, a lot of weather, and the lighthouse eventually, you know, sort of fell apart, and they couldn't right. keep up with with everything that was needed to keep it going. So, yeah, um, and that's that's somewhere on the west coast in the U.S. I'm I'm not sure where it might be in Oregon somewhere, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So uh, there there's many different stories of American lighthouses that ended up in private hands. And now people just live in them. There's, yeah. It's their house. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting setup. Now, I believe the Coast Guard still um, has access to the light portion of it so that they keep and maintain the lights, but you own the building. So. Hmm. That's yeah. a strange I'd setup. Have to look more, I'd have to look more into it. I'm, I'm not 100% certain. Yeah. But, um, yeah, kind of a weird one. That is weird. It's cool though at in BC how they're, you know, there's still a use for your lighthouses and your bases and everything. So it's being used. You guys are there, you know, maintaining them and stuff. And you're also because they're like a heritage site, like you said, there's they're sort of preserving that piece of history. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's so cool that you know it makes all that stuff is being ha- is happening together. So it's you know there's a reason to fund it and keep it going. But also I I love that it's being preserved and i get to talk to you and learn about it you know <laughs> yes yeah it's a wonderful thing <laughs> right no no it's it's it is very very cool um man well this was great and yeah you have you talked about your your um you know isolation and stuff and that was a you and 
you enjoy that and that was kind of a something you look forward to um but i mean is there i'm sure people always ask you about just do you ever get bored there <laughs> oh you, you know what's funny i was i was just talking with with um the principal keeper the other day about this and um we have all of our time like i see the other keeper keeper for maybe two to three hours a day mm-hmm. and that's that's about it and i still don't have enough time to do everything i want to do really so it's even though i have all this time i'm by myself i have all these resources and everything it just still feels like i just don't have enough time it's kind of <laughs> funny right yeah so no, I definitely don't get bored, but I can see how somebody who didn't have hobbies or was like some kind of crazy workaholic kind of guy, whatever, um, it, it, it's all about balance. I mean, everything in life is about balance, but being here is definitely about balance. You need to have enough time to do things that you need to do around the station, and then you need to be able to balance your personal time with things to do. And um, ways to keep yourself healthy and whatnot, because obviously there's no gym to go to, mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of space here. Uh, the other keeper was saying the other day because he started um, monitoring how far he walks, and he's lucky to get three thousand steps in a day. Really, and that's like that's making an effort <laughs> to like do a lot of walking because there's just nowhere to go. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it's a pretty small station. So. Yeah, you just got to walk around your house a bit, just circles yeah. in the rooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah was, so yeah, I I have no problems with it. I have my own hobbies. Obviously, I as you said earlier, I do YouTube um, mm-hmm. for lighthouses, but I also have a second channel. I build model cars, oh. and I film myself building model cars, and so um, that takes up you know. Editing takes up way too much time. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I can I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean I I can understand how you would enjoy it. Um, you know the isolation and the the time to you know devote to hobbies and things that you know you care about and stuff. Was there a for me, I always have this where I'm in like my normal life and I'm, you know, fairly busy doing things and I have work and stuff, but then I go on vacation. I have, you know, an adjustment period of, it usually takes me like a week before I can really slow down and actually like enjoy a bit of the relaxation side of it or like having that free time. Did you, was there, yeah. did you experience that? Um, no, I don't think so. I think when, um, so the, when I first arrived on my first station, it was just awe. Like it, I was just in absolute like awe, hundred mm-hmm. percent. And the, the learning curve on everything is actually quite, there's a lot of stuff you need to learn kind of in a short period of time. So I spent a lot of time just sort of familiarizing myself with the station, with the jobs and the duties and the other keeper and, and whatnot. And then you slowly settle into uh, a routine. Mm. And um, yeah, once you're in that routine, I, I've been doing the same routine now for whatever it is, seven months, eight months. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's uh it's great. So I think the only adjustment period is kind of finding what routine works for you. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And not to say that you're, this is like a vacation for you. You, you have a lot of work to do and a lot of maintenance and stuff there. So I can, I can understand that. Um, well, man, Spence, this was awesome. This is so fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for, you know, coming on here and, and sharing all this info. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. I, I enjoy talking to other people and it's, it's still when when you mention lighthouse keepers to most people, they say, "I figured all the lighthouses were automated. Do we even have lighthouse keepers anymore?" A lot of people just don't know that there are still people doing this job. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool being able to let people know um, kind of what's involved and what's going on. 
Yeah, totally. And we will. I'll direct people to your to your YouTube channel, BC Lighthouse Keeper. Oh. Um, I'll have Thank a link you. to that in the description for people to check out. Because yeah, you share. Just having the the medium of video on there to show all you know, you do tours and stuff. It's it's really cool to check that stuff out. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I, I figured it was a unique opportunity and I've I've discussed it with a lot of people within the Lighthouse community. And while there's been people who have done a lot of pictures and stuff, there hasn't ever been anyone to really do video. So mm-hmm. it's quite a new uh, it's a new medium for uh, for the Coast Guard in general, for people to be able to see this kind of stuff in operation. Right. Yeah. No, it's very fun. And there's just some sort of a. Uh like romance or allure to to lighthouses for some reason you know it's it's, indeed yeah cool well thanks again spence really appreciate it and uh enjoy the rest of your uh i guess you're done with your shift now right or do you have one more i'm done with my shift now it's it's lunchtime so (laughs) okay i'm yeah i'm good (laughs) cool well enjoy the rest of your day all right thank you sir you too boom we did it We went through episode 86 together when we learned about lighthouses. So thank you for being here and listening to this. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Spence for being on and sharing all that information. That was really cool to hear about and learn that lighthouse keepers still exist in the modern world. But makes sense. So thanks for being here. I got a request for you, the listener. If you might know somebody who would like this episode, who would be interested in lighthouses or lighthouse keepers or find this cool, why don't you send it to them? I'd appreciate that. Helps spread the word, the word of mouth of curiosityness. So that'd be great. That's all. I'm Travis DeRose. You're listening to Curiosityness. Oh, I'm on Instagram at Trav DeRose. And you can send me an email, Travis at curiosityness.com with your concerns and thoughts and questions and ideas. And that's about it. Thanks for being here. See you in the next episode. You're still here? The episode's over. You can turn it off. All right. Since you're such a loyal listener, I'm going to tell you about the giveaway we're doing. Remember we talked about the movie The Lighthouse? Well, we're going to give away a DVD or Blu-ray copy of the the 2019 film The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers. And damn, it's a good movie. So... Because you're a loyal listener who made it all the way to the end, you can visit curiositiness.com slash giveaway and enter to win The Lighthouse on DVD or Blu-ray. You get to pick which one you want, because I know not everyone's on the Blu-ray board yet. I'm kind of there, not all the way. But that's it. Thanks for listening. Curiositiness.com slash giveaway. And I'll see you next time. Now goodbye for real. We're going to end the podcast. Okay, it's done. Now it's done.